In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, strange tales from Appalachia, as spun by a former prison guard from Kentucky. There's a lot of debris, old limbs, things like that. You know, he's crawling through it, just snapping and popping, and he's just trying to move this debris around. Anyway, he gets up to something, and it, it's larger, and it's like, almost like a ball or a, a helmet or something weird. And he picks it up, and it's a skull. It's a human skull. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. 
Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Steve Asher is here with stories of high strangeness from his home state of Kentucky. Steve is a paranormal researcher and a native of Princeton, Kentucky. He's an artist, podcast host, and musician. He's a fan of horror and paranormal subjects. Previously, Steve worked over 10 years in law enforcement as a correctional officer. He's traveled worldwide in a pursuit to learn of legends and folklore from other cultures. He's the author of five books, Hauntings of the Western Lunatic Asylum, Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, Hauntings of the St. Vincent Academy, and his two new collections of strange stories, Short Stories for Darker Nights, and Curious Counties from Kentucky, Dang Strange and Mostly True Tales. Hey Steve, it's been a while, how are you? Hey buddy, yeah, yeah, hanging in there like everybody, man. You know, 2020 is a, it's been a strange, strange year for everybody. I'll say, I'll say. Well. That's your stock and trade, The Strange, right? You've got two new ones for us following, can I call it your trilogy, the, 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 all the haunted Kentucky, you know, the state penitentiary? That's kind of a trilogy, right? Well, yeah, you know, honest to gosh, it, it, it started out as purely a trilogy, and then I got so many stories from the penitentiary. I did actually a second, uh, second penitentiary book, uh, Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, habitual hauntings from the castle and it touched on things like uh kelly moss which was a famous uh, execution of, of a gentleman who swore up and down and he did not uh, kill the man that he was accused of killing and he would be seen around one and two wall stand of the penitentiary uh in the segregation unit and sometimes he would poke up in between the barbed wire and like wave his hands at the people in the wall stands and of course they would freak out and uh but that's up to this day so now you have two new books, Short Stories for Darker Nights and Curious Counties from Kentucky, Dang Strange and Mostly True Tales. Do you use the word dang a lot down there? <laughs> well, surely. Uh, you know, it's one of those, uh, you, you can't say certain things, so you, you say what you can get away with. Uh, it's just <laughs> one of those things that stuck with my childhood, I guess. Dang, right. No, it's a great word. I love that. Dang. So let's start off with a tale from... Uh, short stories for darker nights. Let me ask you though, before we dive in, how do you how do you curate these stories? Where do they come from? Well, uh, understand the county's book that has a lot to do with things that come from different families, uh, family oral histories. Sometimes it's straight out of the newspaper. And now, when I was short stories for darker nights, that ties in with just me uh, either knowing of a situation or thinking, okay, well, I've heard of this, and I've I've seen things go down this way. I wonder maybe. If they'd went this way, how things would turn out. It's it's sort of like my homage to like the old Twilight Zone stories and some of the cautionary tales and things from that. And and obviously, uh, as we'd mentioned, I was always a big fan of the Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, uh, Algernon Blackwood, and all that. And I love those kind of supernatural stories with the the faceless thing out in the, in, in the shadows and all that. And so that's what short stories had a lot more of that kind of element, maybe maybe more uh, night gallery, because I was I kind of like that kitschy sort of stuff uh, more than Twilight Zone. But uh, it definitely plays into that as well. And and are these stories legends? Are they uh, is there any truth to them? Well, yeah, uh, as we were discussing one the story of uh, the, the chilled cherries, that ties into fairy lore 
And, you know, if you are ever visited into an area, sort of like a fairy ring or an, an, the kingdom of the fairies or somewhere where the, you know, the fairy king or his people are at, if they offer you food or drink, do not take it and never steal from a fairy. That's, that is no good because there's always a price to pay. And at the end of the gentleman's price. All right. So let's talk about the chilled cherries story. This is uh, this old English fellow who's kind of down on his luck. He's not a well man. He's diabetic. And he, he, one night he meets a young man on the tracks, the railway tracks. What happens? Well, again, as you mentioned, he is, it's one of these things that not everybody that's an old bitter guy. And this is probably looking at my own mortality, which I, <laughs> I laugh when I say that I'm, I'm 51. I just had a, my birthday on November 30th, but uh, I'm not quite there, but everybody slows down and everybody, you know, especially if you don't have a family or something like it, you're going to become embittered and you're going to, you know, just almost misanthropic, not wanting to, uh, not being too happy about the, your situation. But so anyway, the gentleman had come through there and, and a lot of times there are, I won't say layovers, but there's times between the trains coming through. This gentleman would come through early morning. Uh, he worked uh, in like the, in the business sector and he would stop there. Well, anyway, he had saw this young gentleman who was uh, sitting cross-legged by one of the uh, the, the posts, you know, kind of like think of like Harry Potter and he would run into that, that big wall, that sectional wall that's a post and go into the area of Hogwarts. Well, this gentleman was sitting in that sort of type of area and he was sitting there with his, his fruit and he had like he would play music and whatever different little instruments and, and whatnot. And the guy was just kind of just watching this guy and okay, well, the music didn't sound bad. Well, he's sitting there, he's rubbing his feet. So he's uh, actually takes his shoes off and he's rubbing his, rubbing his feet because his feet are in really bad shape. And, you know, corns, diabetic, cracked feet and just neuropathy and all that's all the nightmares that comes with diabetes and things like that. So anyway, the young man comes over and uh, says, hey, uh, how are you? And the guy kind of pulls his business attache next to him and he's like, yeah, I'm fine. So he's like, you know, uh, I don't mean to pry, but uh, I might be able to help you with that. And the guy kind of eyes him kind of weird and he says, Okay, just listen. Uh, my family, you know, old family, very old family, and we did a lot of like, I guess what you would call herbal medicine. And so anyway, the guy, for some reason, believes this guy. He just was like, I don't know why, but this, he seems like he's legitimate. So anyway, he says, can I see one of your feet? And after a couple of minutes talking back and forth, he says, you know, what do you got to lose? So anyway, he agrees. And he takes this uh, reddish looking stuff. It almost looks like a fruit not quite pureed but it's glistening it's just a sparkling material well he, he gets it and he kind of rubs it on his foot he kind of pulls it back and goes, it's cold and this is like there's no air there's no heat or sort of air conditioning in this place it was like uh really hot in the in the place and i don't know how he got it so cold but anyway long story short he rubs it on his feet and it's like oh that's interesting you know so he goes home that night says wrap your foot don't don't mess with it wrap your feet and uh, let me know how this foot's doing, because the one was really bad. Well, he goes, uh, and over the course of a day or so, he notices the old skin, it peels off. First, he's really scared. He's like, what did he do with my foot? But once that old skin come off, it was like baby feet. It was like pink. Uh, uh, it was stronger, no bunions. And he's like, this is insane. This is crazy. So anyway, he goes back in a few days, sees the guy again on, on the same uh, area. Well, he says, this is crazy. This is wonderful. So anyway, he ends up helping him. He helps him with that. He has him with his other foot. He has issues with, you know, starting to get glaucoma. He rubs a little bit on his eyes. He does a little bit of this. He's got like a slight hump from oste uh, osteoporosis and stuff. Rubs it on that. Guy even had to the point of going, 
this is this is insane. You got to tell me. He said, I really can't. He says, but you know, as long as you're, tr- you know, you don't try to force me on this, I will be here and I will help you. I'm here to help people. Anyway, so long story short, after he gets his eyes done, uh, he even does his teeth, uh, and he regrew he regrew new teeth. And I know this sounds like a crazy story, but it's like some miracle to him. Uh, well, the gentleman, uh, the guy who helps him, there's you know rats and stuff. He said, get you know, go 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 now. I'll feed you later. And as he has his back turned, the gentleman grabs a couple of cherries. And so he gets on his on the tram and he's gone. He takes it to a chemist friend of his. This is, you know, maybe early 1900s and said, please check this out. Well, it's a matter of uh, a few days. He comes back through and he says, well, why, why did you bring me this? He says, well, it's, it's a miracle. It's, you know, no. He said, no, no, no. It's uh, more or less common common filled cherries uh, with, uh, you know, a couple of different you know, herbal elements to it. And there's, there's like a zero, zero, zero point nine something that I really can't make out. Uh, I'm assuming it's just some sort of um, trash or something. I, you know, it's not anything important. He says, no, 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 this, this really did all this to me. And he's like, look, I, I don't know what you did, but it didn't happen with this. So he said, uh, in fact, you know, but if you could get me more of it, I could probably do a more substantial test. So anyway, he goes back and he um, didn't see the guy for a few days. He's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, I'm a, and uh, feeling really good. And by this time, he had already started courting a young lady he had had a crush on. He would never have spoken to if he didn't have his confidence because his hair come back, his teeth come back, his youth come back. And uh, so he's coming back. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm fixing to probably marry this gal. You know, we're, we're engaged. We're going to be married here in a few weeks. I got to know this. I want her to marry a rich man. So he almost gives up. And one night he sees the young man again. Set in the same spot. He goes to him. Oh, my friend, it's so good to see you. And, you know, all this and that. Buttering up. And he went, why did, uh, what did you take from me? He said, what are you talking about? I, I know you took something from me. He said, I, I, no, no, I wouldn't do that. I went, and he says, why, why do you lie to me? And he says, look, you don't understand. You have a miracle on hand. You know how many people can help? And, of course, the young man says, no, look, you're not worried about people. You're worried about gold in your pocket so then they start kind of arguing again this is middle of the night no one's there and they actually get into a fight over this this bowl this very simple bowl with kind of uh, unidentifiable lettering carved on it it's a very very old bowl and they're at next to the the uh, where the train comes through well it ends up being a thing where he shoves the man pulls the bow he falls into a track the train gone he hits him or something and takes him off into the dark of the night and he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't mess with it. He he runs out of the uh, out of the train station and finds another way home. Well, he takes this. He sends it to the uh, he sends it to the chemist and he says, "Look, find out what's going on. We should have plenty at this point." He goes and he's getting married. All right, and he gets uh, he gets at the the wedding. The chemist says, "I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you what what did you do this to this material? Well, what are you talking about?" He says, "Well, it's just." Uh, I think it's going to take a while because it seems like it's disintegrating. It's, a, it's strange. It just sort of turns into almost like sparkling dust and wisps away. It's it's bizarre. I don't know what this is. He said, well, you have to save it. And he says, but I have to get married. So he's running and doing this stuff. Well, he goes that night. You know, they get married. Uh, he's waiting to hear from that, but he gets married. He goes to his bedchamber. Everyone's nervous, you know, he's whatever. And... She comes out of the bathroom or whatever. She, she lays in bed. He gets ready to lay in bed with her. And he starts feeling this really odd sensation in his, in his back. Um, it is almost like he has a growth. He starts you know, moving around. His arms are t- tensing up. His hands are getting claw-like. 
you know, he can he can feel his face contorting. He can feel his legs bending, the bones breaking in his legs, where he's getting like more joints in his legs, and he actually hunkers down and begins to shrink, and he actually starts getting brown fur on his all over his body. The woman, not knowing what happened to his husband, goes, "Oh my God, it's a rat!" So she's trying to kill this thing with a like a poker from a fireplace. So they're at a very nice, very nice uh, hotel. Well, anyway, he scurries. He runs behind the toilet, and he runs behind, and he starts running, and he starts – he's just like doesn't know what to do. All he knows is he's got to hide because he's going to get killed. Well, he hears something off in the distance, and so he starts following the sound, and he ends up back in that same depot. And he's, he's walking along the same tracks where he had pushed that young man, and he hears that young man's music, and he's trying to struggle to get up. And the old man actually picks him up. He has like a little, uh, like a little flute of some kind, picks him up. And he tells him, he says, when will humans ever learn? <laughs> and he actually feeds him one of the cherries and he and it joins the other rats, which apparently were the other people who tried to betray him too. <laughs> it comes to find out he was, he's fairy folk and, uh, you know, never crossed fairy folk. More of my conversation with master storyteller, Steve Asher, when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. C60 Evo's Miracle Molecule ESS60 makes a great gift for your friends, family, and their pets. Why not give the gift of radiant health to everyone on your list? ESS60 from C60 Evo is the purest form of C60. Take ESS60 for increased strength, flexibility, immunity, and better sleep. You know, the mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking it for a year now. A tablespoon full every morning, and we've never felt better, never slept better. No aches, no pains. We're mentally focused and sharp. Is it any wonder? This antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and super antioxidant is 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. You heard me right, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. To order your bottle of ESS60 from C60 Evo, go to the episode notes for this podcast or click on the banner ad for C60 Evo at the bottom of my website, strangeplanet.ca. And now, until the end of the year, you can take 15% off your order with the coupon code JOLLY15RS. JOLLY15RS. That's JOLLY15RS. The coupon's not valid for cases or subscriptions and cannot be used with any other coupon code. Valid through December 31st, 2020. Again, to order your Miracle Molecule in a bottle, go to the episode notes for this podcast or go to my website, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom and click on the C60 Evo banner. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, treat, or diagnose. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Steve Asher is here. We're discussing some of the wonderfully strange stories from his two new books, Short Stories for Darker Nights and Curious Counties from Kentucky. What is it about Kentucky and Appalachia that, that is such fertile ground for, for, for these stories and, and all of these things that you write about? What, what is it about Kentucky? Well, you know, it's a strange thing. First of all, when people think of the South, I mean, they, they may think of Texas, they may think of this and that, but some people will think of you know, the rich Welsh and, and Irish cultures, uh, German cultures, 
that come over here. And the first people that came to Kentucky, uh, which as I understood means like the, uh, the dark and the dark and bloody ground. Um, Kentucky was not always a place where many people settled, especially in the Appalachian area. That was hunting area. That was a sacred area. You more or less, um, did what you do and you left. It's kind of like the old Highlander thing, you know, no, we're in church Highlander, no fighting here. They went there to gather goods and things like that. So when the settlers started settling there, it, it really sort of offset the vibe of it. And um, but a lot of these people come there uh, with with uh, their legends and their traditions. And, you know, uh, and we people were one of them, you know, and uh, sometimes that would mesh with some of the native stories of like the li- like their little people. You know, there's little people all over um, humanity as there are stories of giants. And uh, we actually got a story uh, in there that touches on a very old. This is and this is actually you can find them in the newspaper. You can you can Google the county and you can actually Google around the year. Uh, I believe it was January of eighteen something. I have to uh, remember that date. Oh, eighteen seventy six. This was in Adair County. This this comes from this comes from curious counties from Kentucky. Dang strange and mostly true tales. Very quickly, this is it's kind of cool what you've done here because. You've done that alphabetically. Every county, it seems, has uh, a dang strange tale, uh, 120 counties, and you do it alphabetically. Adair County, these kids find uh, these, well, you, you tell us the story. This, this took place in the winter of uh, 1876 during a snowstorm. Yes, sir. And this is, uh, if you look at the time, this is where there was a lot of mounds and things I can't explore um, and you have, it's one of those, it is a thing of contention because, uh, a lot of native Americans say, well, look, this is sacred sites. This is our peoples. Don't touch it. Uh, then there's, you know, other people that would contend, well, no, this is, might actually be an earlier culture, you know, uh, either a pre pre, uh, precursor to the natives or the people who lived there before, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard stories of like red haired giants and oh, yes. two rows of fingers, you know, very biblical type of, uh, creatures and uh fierce warriors so there was these cousins the they were from the white family and they were out doing some hunting this was getting close to the holiday season uh or around right around the holiday season and uh they're wanting to make sure to have plenty of game for the family so these young guys they weren't i mean they were young i mean what we think of as young men now or you know mostly is like 19, 20, 21, these were teenagers. These are in their early teens to mid-teens, but they grew up a lot faster than obviously. So anyway, the, this group of cousins go out and they're hunting, I don't know if it was elk or whatever, whatever they could catch. But anyway, they, they were seeing tracks and they were seeing movement. And so they're trying to follow these uh, tracks out into the woods. And it's already snowing a little bit. It's cool, obviously. And and they start really getting out there and they're like, you know, there's so many tracks. I think we're really going to get some good, uh, get some good meat for the family. So they go out and they go out. Well, out of nowhere, they, they, they weren't aware of this, but a storm, like a really heavy snowstorm comes in blinding. Now these kids are a good ways out. They're not, they're not turned around, but they know they're not going to make it back to, you know, their cabins and their home homesteads and stuff. Uh, that night in that snowstorm, they're going to freeze to death. They don't, they did not bring the sort of supplies they needed for an overnight 
camp out. They did not have stuff for, you know, their tents and whatnot. So they're going, okay, we're going to have to hunker down. And first they're going to try to dig out snow and cover themselves up and all that. But they didn't have, uh, they didn't have the skins to do that. So look, okay, we need to use nature. We got to find a spot. They're looking, they're looking. And they find what they think is either like a fox hoe or some sort of burrow hoe. Most of these guys are smaller, you know, like I said, young, young, young guys. And they start kind of climbing down into this. Well, as they do that, it's like, wow, this is actually bigger. It's like the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. So they kind of, it's not that quite that big, but they go down and it angles down. They follow it down. It's like a six or seven foot. And then it kind of angles off to the, to the side. Well, uh, they have, did bring a few torches just in case it got too awful dark. So they were able to flint, get flint and get those going. And they notice this doesn't look like really so much a natural formation. The deeper they go, it looks like it's like it's worked walls by, you know, axes and things like that. It, it's not perfectly smooth, but it's definitely been man, uh, man altered. Well, they get down in there to an area and it almost looks like a type of barrier. And it has this, this lettering on it. I, they, they compared it to hieroglyphics, which understand during that time that's when a lot of the you know king's type related stuff mummies were like coming out of everywhere you know because they were running ramshot grabbing every tomb they could which wasn't good but they're you know again i digress um so they're like this is really weird and so they start messing around with it and they notice that they can actually move it and it's like well okay well as long as there's not a bear in here i think we get kind of a little bit away from out of the wind we're gonna be better because they noticed once they were able to get in behind it the wind stopped well uh they got down there with their with their torches and whatnot and they're waiting out the storm they're waiting out the storm a couple hours go by you know and it's just it's just not not going out so they're like okay well i guess we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do something here for the night so they're trying to look around gather any little bits of wood and th there's a few scraps and limbs but they start noticing you know some animal skulls and things like that and it says well this is some sort of den and one of the voices well they obviously didn't do whatever that was on the wall and it's like ah, that's probably some you know native American. they would have said indian some sort of indian stuff don't worry about that the older one was you know and it's kind of weirding them out a little bit they're stuck in the middle of the woods away from their parents at night they don't know where their, their kids are they don't you know so anyway uh they start looking around a little bit more so they had time to kill they got a little bit of kindling going and it lit up the room it's like oh this is bigger than we thought it was almost like vaulted ceilings now, understand, this, this is from a newspaper report. And so they start checking around, and they notice something that almost looks like a sarcophagi. And, but on top of it are these humanoid bones. And I'm not talking about scattered. I'm talking like a full set of what would be giant bones, like 12, 15-foot tall hmm. skeletons. Now, and these were not just set in there sort of in a disarray. These guys were set up there. They had shields at their feet, which were probably, you know, uh, eight to nine foot tall, huge shield. Almost looked like a surfboard today. Uh, and long, ornate spears. So they're going, what are, we, what are we looking at? Just one second. But what they did was they started looking around at these, looking at the weapons and all this stuff. And these guys, the, the skeletons, had different types of uh, orna ornamental things on them. Uh, you know, and at first they, they were like, this is... This can't be real because it looked like they had multiple rows of teeth, you know, giant, giant heads, six fingers, and it appeared to be six toes. 
which you know, as you've talked about on your show uh, several, you know, several times, you talked about Nephilim, and you know the the, the children of you know the, the fallen angels and whatnot. Right, right. Uh, I mean, this story free. sounds like L.A. Marzulli's fantasy. Well, and that's what's so crazy about it. You know, this was during the time where, as we'd mentioned, you know, the mummies were the rage, and so everybody was really checking out their areas. You know, because there, there are a lot of mounds in. Uh, in Kentucky, uh, and Appalachian, all throughout it, you know, the uh, Adean cultures and the Miss- uh, Mississippian people who uh, traveled up and down the Ohio rivers and whatnot. But up in the mountains, you know, you would hear that. They would talk it was like the old stories of storm giants and hill giants. Well, um, they looked around and they said, of course, there's like clay jars with different things in it. And, and there's like, but they were huge. They, they couldn't carry anything out. Everything was too big for these boys to carry out. I mean, the objects weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Um, so anyway, long story short is they try to sketch out what they saw, and they try to sketch out the lettering. Well, morning come, and they were finally able to kind of push, dig out. It was probably about a four-foot drift. They were really in there. And thank God the sun was uh, warm enough that it, it didn't pack. They slept so anyway, all night. They slept in there with the, these giant skeletons. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's like uh, – it's like a Bud and uh, uh, I mean Costello skit gone gone wrong, <laughs> uh, which there was there was I should say there was no sleeping. So um, so what happened was like you said, yeah, nobody was sleeping and they were ready to get out of there. And they were like, we've got to tell we've got to tell our uncles about this, right? So they're getting out. Things like it was like it's okay, okay. They get home. Oh oh God, you know, Uncle Uncle Jim, you know, cousin Tom, you've got to see this. It's oh, oh, it's uh, uh, probably about twenty however long so I hit this way and you hang by the river and did a. Well, okay. Well, okay. Okay. You guys are delirious. Here, let's get some broth in you. You know, this is crazy giant talk. Get in here. You, no wonder you're about half crazed from from exposure to the elements. And uh, one one of the boys, uh, I think he almost got frostbite on some of his toes. So it, it was a harrowing thing. They think these kids are in shock. Well, by the time they're able to get them back there, the, the snow, the tracks are gone. The snow has, has receded, and uh, they kind of knew the area, but they couldn't quite find the area. It took them a while, but supposedly people did happen upon the, the same location. And as I understand it, the Smithsonian got involved, but I mean, I, and I'm not throwing any, I'm not throwing rocks, but um, somebody, they may not even been from the Smithsonian, but I think they claimed to be, and then everything was gone. Aha, uh-huh. surprise, surprise. That, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it ties into a little bit of a conspiracy element, you know, uh, no pun intended. Well, <laughs> so, there, there could be more of those caves containing 12 to 14 foot skeletons out there still today do you ever go out spelunking in your spare time steve looking for giant skeleton bones you know uh no i hadn't but uh i did have i did have uh well I, let's say hypothetically a cousin of mine used to would go to caves and check around and he actually had a very strange uh strange discovery himself there's a story called nightmares from the bone cave and uh, this my a nephew of mine, he would go out and just like you said, he would go spelunking and he would go find uh, bits of pottery and things like that. I, you know, I've actually got a few things from early cultures and then they're just shards, broken little bits of castaway stuff in my possession that had come from other friends of mine that said, oh, well, here, this is where there's an encampment. It's not a burial site, but you can tell where they cooked things and there's bones from animals and broken bits of arrowheads and stuff. And I think that's just, I think it's funner to find that than a solid arrowhead because these ones are actually had been used and these have been tooled and, and worked to cut on animals, you know, and, and uh, trim them. So anyway, he went and found uh, this one, this one cave, 
and he would go up there all the time uh, in this area, and he would go further in the wood, further into the cave system, because we have big caves under Princeton, Kentucky, is, which is where I'm from. And uh, there's an area called Big Springs, which is actually where my, I guess my great great grandmother came in on the Trail of Tears and was adopted by a by a white family because her mother had passed away and and they couldn't care for her. So I've always had a connection to Big Springs area, and that's actually the, where the heart of the town started. So long story short is again he would go there, and every time he get a little bit bolder, a little bit more confident, go a little bit deeper, and uh, they have areas that you can come in in a kayak, and it's like you're going through like a cathedral. It's it's so high, even with a strong light, you don't see the top. It's massively huge. And so anyway, he gets down there and he starts finding little oddball things. Maybe it's from where they were putting in uh, sump pumps under the stores at the time to keep water from rising up into the into basements. And he'd start getting deeper and start getting deeper. And he would start finding little little odd worked tools, a lot of stone related stuff. And, uh, you know, he didn't think anything about it. He was a young guy. He didn't he didn't think about, well, you know, should I have this or should I not? And um, so he got deeper and he actually come up to one section and it was it was it was not natural. It didn't go with the natural flow of the cave. It looked like a you ever been to like a speakeasy or, or seen like a Al Capone's vault? So there's like, oh, yes. why is there a wall here? There shouldn't be a wall here. And come to find out it's, you know, it's got a trigger or something to open up. Well, this was from clay. Okay, but it was a different. It was it was a different type of clay. It was very very red clay because um, we have a lot of clay in, in our in our dirt, but not necessarily in that section of the cave. So it was an odd it was an odd standing thing. And he's uh, messing around with it because he sees something wedged. So he's wiggling around and uh, he pulls it. He's not sure what it is. He doesn't know if it's like a um, a bead or something like that. So that is super cool. Now that's neat. It, there's not a whole lot of light in there. His headlamps are about to die. And he said, well, "Okay, well I'm gonna I'll take this home." It was about half crusted up. So anyway, he goes home. He puts it on his counter. He, you know, sprays off real quick because, you know, caves are gross. And uh, he goes to bed and he begins to have the most horrific nightmares. It just, it was a mishmash of smoke, you know, a smoky area, uh, very fiery hot. And there was interaction clashes between people, but it's like in flickering, ca- you know, uh, candlelight, you know, from a fire. You couldn't quite make out. There are a lot of shadows moving around a lot of, and a lot of straining and, and just something just not good going on from these nightmares. Well, that would happen a time or two. And, and like I said, he had to go to he had to uh, work that morning. He, he just couldn't think about it. So anyway, he keeps uh, over a day or two having this nightmare. And then he's like, remembers that thing because he was like, you know, I need to. Oh, oh I, I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. I found that thing. So he goes, gets it from his uh, like uh, curio thing. And so. And he's like, I'm trying to figure this thing out. So he goes to my brother and takes a look at it. And he goes, where'd you find that? And he said, oh, I was in a cave. And he went, nah, this, what do you think you got? And he said, uh, like a bead or part of a whistle or something. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a segmented piece. He says, you know, down here we say, hey, brother, you know, and he said, brother, I don't know. Just whatever it is, it, I just get a weird vibe from it once you take it back. And he ended up going back uh, after a little bit. It had been a lot of rain, and he was going to go back up in there. And what happens? The caves flood, and you have to give them days and days because you're going to have, a first of all, water issues. You're going to have water moccasins. You're going to have just a lot of complications. You don't want to go into a cave that's full of water because sometimes that water floods through there and comes out with hundreds and hundreds of gallons. It's like – think of it like an Olympic swimming pool, and it's all coming at you. You don't want to be in that. So he finally gets up in there, and he gets back to that area, and he's like, I'm just going to push it back in. But when he did – his hand goes through the, through the clay 
because it's so damp and wet now. And he's like, and he said, I knew, I knew I should have left it alone. He said, but I was so dang greedy and so curious. I had to know what was going on. So now understand, uh, he did not have the gear that it was like a spur of the moment thing. He did not have the headlamps and all this. He happened to have like a, a lighter. So he kind of gets back in there with that lighter and he kind of starting to move in there. And he's like, oh, what is this? And he says, is this a, maybe, maybe an old bear cave? Is this maybe a, a wallered out spot that leads to some other buildings under, under Princeton? Because there are a lot of places like that. And so he's going across. There's, you know, there's a lot of debris, old limbs, things like that. You know, he's crawling through it. It's snapping and popping. And there's, you know, luckily it seems dry in there. And he's just trying to move this debris around. Anyway, he gets up to something and it, it's larger and he's like almost like a ball or a, a helmet or something weird. And he picks it up and it's a skull. It's a mm. human skull. Lovely. And yo, yeah, I mean, it's not going to end well. So he is able to uh, turn up the, the lighter a little bit. Like I said, this happened. This is a straight up family story. And I, I've never really shared it because I didn't want him to get in trouble and I'm still going to say his name. But <clears throat> he says what he could see in the flickering light was a lot of handprints on the inside of it and multiple bone fragments, which he said, what I thought was stems and sticks and leaves were human bones. I was crawling across crushing them. Oh my Lord. And he, said, and he what he figured out was it was about the size of it. He figured it out. Once he looked, he talked to a medical person and said, well, Hey, you know, what would be the size? He said, that would be probably like a child's pinky bone. That's what and he brought what home. It, That's what he brought home. Yes. And he put it back there. He tried to cover it up best he could try to hide it the best he could. So he was afraid he would go to jail. And he said, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I, he, he was beside himself. I mean, he was a, probably in his mid twenties, but he was like sobbing like a child. And he had uh, come spoke to my brother about it. And he said, look, just learn from that. And he'd never went back to the caves again. He never went to any caves again. In fact, uh, but he never had the nightmares either. And ah, I was going to ask you after he returned the, uh, the child's pinky bone to the, to its rightful resting place, the nightmare right. stopped. Interesting. Yes, and, and I think when, and what happened is when he left, he had, uh, I forgot what he had. I don't know if he had had, uh, something, I don't know if it was a money clip or something on him, but he laid it down in front of as a, almost like a sacrifice of going, please let me atone. And I'm sorry. And he left it. And for whatever reason it, it stopped. Could it have been subconsciously? Maybe he registered it was a bone, but maybe he didn't want to actually admit it was a bone. Uh, I don't know, but that was really strange. I didn't know this story until you know, several years after it happened. Uh, the guy, he's grown up now and, you know, he's, he changed. I noticed he changed at a certain point and, uh, you kind of think of like the rhyming the ancient mariner, you know, uh, he leaves a, a sadder but wiser man, and that stuck with him. And uh, that's you asked me to like spelunk. I don't. I love visiting caves. I love taking pictures. I've seen where it's washed out little bits of st uh, stalactites or stalagmites, like little bits of crystal. But you know, I usually don't touch that stuff. Uh, I think stuff that's in the earth stays in the earth, and there's a reason it's there. So, uh, again, a cautionary tale. Well, uh, short stories for darker nights and curious counties from Kentucky. Dang strange and mostly true tales uh, filled with uh, cautionary tales. Uh, you, you, you write well and you, uh, you really tell a story well. It's, uh, it's spellbinding. Uh, how do we get copies of uh, these two new books? 
uh, like I said, I do all my own self-publishing through uh, Amazon.com. Now, if you're wanting uh, like a signed copy or something like that, I don't have like an online store yet. Uh, obviously, this year has been rough with COVID. And <clears throat> as I'd mentioned off there, I've, I've got some family that's that's battling that right now. So my focus has been more toward that. I'm looking forward to the day that everything gets better. Not so I can sell books, obviously. Um, we all want the the uh, the world pre-COVID back and and hopefully with God's help, we'll have that before too long. But uh, yeah, go to Amazon.com. But if you are looking for like a signed copy, you can contact me through uh, uh, Stevie Asher on on uh, Facebook. Uh, also, my uh, my channel uh, House of Asher Podcast. Uh, if worst case, you can comment on one of my my videos, and then I'll reach out to you. And we can trade you know emails and whatnot. Uh, which my email, to, if you want that, all lowercase and together. I L a S H E R S ends up spelling I eyelashes at yahoo.com and they can get a hold of me that way too. And I'm, I'm hoping, uh, hoping people like it. It's a little bit of a departure from what I've wrote before. Cause it's, I, you know, but people know me as a ghost guy. They know me as a paranormal guy, but I mean, it says right in my bio folklorist and I, it's fun exploring that element just because, um, some of the stories are, are a little, you know, interesting, a little bit more fun because pretty much you're going to have a ghost. You're going to, you're going to have something grisly happening. I mean, there are some grisly stories in this, but it's nice to step back from death occasionally. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Particularly this year in 2020 short stories for darker nights, curious counties from Kentucky, dang strange and mostly true tales. Steve Asher, always a pleasure. We'll do this again. We, we barely scratched the surface. These are wonderful stories. We'll do a part two uh, in a few weeks if you're good for it. That sounds nifty. And uh, well, there you go. There's another word, nifty. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll write a book about nifty tales next time. How about that? But Richard, uh, as always, I'm, uh, I'm, in, I'm in your debt. You're one of the first people who uh, uh, really kind of let me stretch my legs, you know, on your show and, and also on Coast. Uh, it means a whole lot to me. And as always, my best to your to your family, and uh, God bless. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to share a few details about an upcoming episode. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Coming up next time, author Josh Peck discusses the latest research on near-death experiences, neuroscience, quantum physics, and the increasing evidence for life after death. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. 
A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>